Good morning. I wanted to start off this morning by reading a, a, a few of the comments uh, that Mary received uh, about the banquet last week. Uh, this one was uh, sent to Mary. I know you are always thinking about me and I appreciate that a lot. You are a pleasing and generous person. I thank you for everything. Uh, Again, this is a, it's all in regards to the banquet. I don't know how to thank you, another person. I never felt blessed like that before, really. It was, it was so wonderful night. I felt like Jesus was beside me. I just wanted to tell you thank you, another one. Thank, thank you to you all for a wonderful and blessed night. Be sure that the love of the Lord, uh, was there and that uh, I know you want to share with everyone we did feel it have a wonderful and blessed Sunday and the love of our God rest in you and also that the and this was really from Mary that she's gotten lots of verbal feedback from uh, the folks at White Plains uh, you know they were they were so very excited that we opened up that time and invited the uh, uh, homeless families that they were ministering to and invited them as well. Uh, it was quite interesting that the ones that came, when they went back downstairs and told the ones that didn't come uh, what it was like, they said there was a, uh, there was a lot of regret that the others did not come. But I think about this, and, and this was all we did was share a meal. We ate with people. We sat down beside them and opened up our hearts, our lives to them. You know, uh, food connects. It connects us to family. And what did it do here? What does it do? Food turns strangers into friends. Uh, if you think about it, uh, there's several scripture passages that start off, the Son of Man came. And so how would you complete the sentence, the Son of Man came? Well, in Mark it says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. One passage in Luke says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But there's another passage in Luke that says the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You know, the first two that I just mentioned are statements <coughs> of purpose, saying, why? Why did Jesus come? He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom to seek and save the lost. But the third is a statement of method or practicality. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. You know, the Jews living in Jesus' day would have thought, they would have, they would have said that the Son of Man, He's coming to vindicate 
the righteous and defeat God's enemies. They were looking for more of a warrior king. Someone to lead them into battle in a sense. They did not expect him to come to seek and save the lost. You know, they would have said that the son of the son of man is going to come in power and glory. They would not have thought about him coming, eating and drinking. But in Luke's gospel, it's so full of stories of Jesus eating with people. In Luke 5, Jesus eats with the tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Remember, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He eats at the home of Martha and Mary. He condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at another meal. He's at a meal where he, we'll look at this one, where he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than people like them. Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. And Jesus shared a last supper with his disciples. And then the risen Christ had a meal with two disciples in Emmaus. So it seems like, especially in Luke's gospel, that we find Jesus either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And... and you know, because of who he spent time with, Jesus was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But this was a sign of who he was called to come to serve. You know, these meals of Jesus really represented something much bigger than we can than we initially think of. They represented a new world order, so to speak, a new kingdom, a new outlook. And they gave this reality substance. And we know that meals are more than food. They're social occasions. They represent friendship, community, and welcome. I see the meals of Jesus as a window into his message of grace and the way it defines his community, and his mission. You know, it's it's not always easy when you think about it. And meals, especially if it's in your home, it involves letting people invade your space. You know, it, it involves letting people go into your home where you might not really feel comfortable with it. Amen. <laughs> But we can't do the work of pointing sinners like us to the Savior that we found unless we spend time with them. And, you know, I would argue what better way to spend time with them than over a meal. And think about this. A meal isn't anything special. Sharing a meal doesn't require special training. Doesn't require a course in apologetics. 
and it doesn't even require that you have a grasp of uh, missiological jargon. But you know what? When you combine a passion for Jesus with a meal, you've created a gospel opportunity. If you would, let's turn, let's look at a passage. We're going to look at Luke 14, verses 1 through 24. And it says this, one Sabbath, when he went to eat a meal at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid, a dropsy. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him. And sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? To this they could find no answer. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come to you and say, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I want to continue on there, because it's hard to stop, and this really flows. When, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Then he told him, A man was given a large banquet. And invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, 
the blind, the lame. Master, the slave said, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told the slave, go out into the highways and the lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. I hope you can see a picture of God's grace in what's going on here. Really in what's going on with us. Because when you when you when he mentions this, and he's talking about the poor, the the maimed, the or the crippled, the blind. Who were the poor? Well, yes, the poor would be people without finances, without money. But in a sense, we were poor. We were spiritually poor. We had nothing to offer for our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. We had nothing to offer. We were spiritually maimed. We were crippled by the power of sin. We were powerless by sin. We at one time were spiritually blind, unable to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And we were at one time were spiritually lame, unable to come on our own to God. It's interesting as you look back on uh, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, most Jewish authorities had said that no one who was blind, crippled, or lame could enter the temple. They were not allowed to enter the temple. And yet, I think it's so amazing that after Jesus went through and cleaned the temple, the story in Matthew, that it was the blind and the lame that came to him in the temple complex. And he healed them. And it's interesting. There's a there was a a religious sect called the Essenes, and the documents of of how they've interpreted Leviticus 21. You know, they they understood it. They thought that it meant that the poor, the blind, the lame wouldn't even participate in the messianic banquet. How significant it is. That I think in Jesus' message here, they're the very ones who were included. Yeah. And one of the things that I draw out of this is I think we see here in this very passage that God's grace is the foundation of Christian community. Now, Luke talks about in, in verse 12, he talks about Jesus, or where Jesus talks about giving a banquet or a dinner. And, you know, this this person who was preparing the banquet, in, in one sense, it represents God who is inviting us to a great banquet. And I think as well that, that our Christmas banquet, our other Invitations into homes for dinners. They're not just a meal. They're not just a banquet. 
but they are a reflection as pale and as dim as it might be they are meant to be a reflection of God's great banquet have you thought about that I mean that's what we're really doing that's that's what we did last weekend we were to all these people around us giving them an image of the banquet to come of God's great banquet I mean it's only a, a very pale image but and, and the best that we can do but it's an image of God's great banquet you know if if uh, if you could travel back in time and go have a meal with a Pharisee instead of having a meal with with Jesus and you chose to have a meal with a Pharisee what would it be like you know the Pharisees had not experienced grace they didn't recognize their need for it so as a result they did not have any grace for the poor and the needy they'd had nothing to offer and nothing to say you know so if you showed up for one of their meals there would not be any type of feeling of restoration no feeling of welcoming into the community what would you see you would see jockeying for position people would be trying to get as close to the head of the table as possible the poor would be excluded not a very pretty vision of a meal would it not at all inviting you might even be asked to leave now if a person's heart is concerned with positions of honor status or approval that's reflected in their dining etiquette did you ever think about that But if you're concerned with other people, if your heart pours out to other people, it's also expressed in your dining etiquette. You know, one of the things that we see here is the exhortation to invite outsiders to our meals. You know, what was the guest list at this meal? Well, it says that it was the law experts, the lawyers, and the Pharisees. Who did this host invite? He invited people like him. Yeah, there's a there's a, a theologian that was pointing out that that in in that time, when you look at it, people generally preferred to eat with people from their own social status and I don't think it's very different today uh, we like to eat with people like us but Jesus says when you give a lunch or a dinner don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite invite you back and you'd be repaid but when you host a banquet, invite those, again, who are poor, maimed, 
lame or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Did you see that happening last week? I did. You know, the, the table fellowship of Jesus with an ethic of grace rather than uh, repayment. In that time, it was creating something that was countercultural. You know, the behaviors that Jesus demanded then, the behaviors that Jesus demands of us now, collapse the gulf, collapse the distance between rich and poor, between insider and outsider, between Christian and and those that we're trying to reach. You know, and we are called to follow Christ in this very same way into a broken and hurting world. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And in that culture, to invite somebody to a meal was to express a form of identification. You know, he was saying, these are my sort of people that I've come to save. These are my sort of people. Think how different the dynamic is when we sit down and we eat a meal with someone. You sit down together across a table, you're sitting as equals. You're not trying to figure out what their status is. You're sharing together. You're affirming one another. You're enjoying one another. And when, when you think about it, there are people all around us who need a welcome. They need a welcome to replace their marginal, marginal, marginalization. They need inclusion. They need inclusion to replace their exclusion. And they need a place where they matter to replace feelings of powerlessness. We can provide that. They need community, but not just any community. They need a Christian community. And when you eat together, when we eat together as friends, we can tell them what a messed up person we are. And then we can tell them about sin and grace. You know, Jesus didn't run projects. He didn't establish ministries. He didn't create programs. He ate meals. If we routinely share meals, if we have a passion for Jesus, then we're doing missions. That's all there is to it. We're doing missions. You know, it's not the meals that save people. People are saved through the gospel message. But meals create a natural opportunity to share the message within a context that resonates powerfully with what you're saying. You know, there's a there's a theologian uh, by the name of uh, Simon Holt. Uh, 
it says, it's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place, a place so routine and every day that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. And this business of hospitality, it's this business of hospitality that lies at the heart of the Christian mission. But it's a very ordinary thing. It's not rocket science and it's not terribly glamorous. Yet it is the very ordinariness of the table and of the ministry that we exercise that renders these elements of the Christian life so important to the mission of the church. Most of what we do, most of what you do as a community of hospitality, it will go unnoticed and unrecognized. But at base, hospitality, get this, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. I'm going to read that again. Hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing dishes, that's the ministry of facilitation. But it provides a context in which people feel loved and they feel welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is very ordinary business. But it's the ordinariness that is the real worth. You know, meals, they're ordinary. But think about it. Most people live in the ordinary. That's where we need to go to reach them. We, I think we too often think of reaching out, of doing mission as something that is extraordinary. You know, uh, maybe it's because we think that God moves more through spectacular things rather than the simple witness of people like us. And sometimes it may be because we want to outsource the mission work. And not really do it ourselves. But invite somebody in to, to help us out. Some expert maybe. <clears throat> Again, people live in the ordinary. The majority of people are going to be reached through the ordinary. You know. I think about it this way. Everybody has to eat. Everybody. You're going to eat anyway, so why not do it with others? Yes, food costs money. Hospitality takes time. Things may get broken. But, you know, meals don't have to be elaborate. The house doesn't have to be spotless. We should never despise the power of inviting people to share a meal. You know, Jesus challenges us to take mission home with us. One thing to, to, to think about, I mean, much is said in 
books about how to do mission work. Much is said about engaging the culture. And I'm sure that you've heard that now almost a cliched message. We've got to engage the culture. I mean, much of what people say when they use that term is right and helpful. But the thing I would argue is we should never let engaging the culture outshine or eclipse engaging with people. People are infinitely variable and they're, you know, rarely susceptible to our social categories, especially when you sit down at a meal. If you want to understand a person's worldview, don't read a book. Invite them out to dinner. Talk with them over a meal. You know, food, I think, reminds us, in a way, of our dependence on other people as well. If you think about how we get food, we're, we're tied into a network of farmers, of traders, of shopkeepers, of cooks, of families. Although we never think about it, food is something we're dependent on. And in a sense, it reminds us as well of our dependence on God. We are finite beings who need substance to sustain us. We need to refuel. But food is so much more than just fuel. Or it can be. I mean, think of your favorite foods. Uh, we were Henry was asking us on the way here, uh, what's your favorite restaurant? I don't even remember how we got on the on the subject. Uh, and, you know, Wendy was going, well, it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If I'm in the mood for Japanese food, it's this or it's this. And, and I'm going, well, my favorite's probably Cracker Barrel. Uh, and, and, and Henry goes, oh, yes, because they serve breakfast all day long. <laughs> You know, you think about it though. God is ridiculously lavish in his creativity and generosity. Amen. He really is. God's first act after creating humanity was to present us with a menu. The fruit of all the trees in the garden. Every meal is an opportunity to receive God's good gifts with thankfulness. You know, perhaps maybe we need to refresh, uh, re restore the practice of saying grace before meals. Not just as, as, as thank you for this meal, but as an expression of our dependence on God and as an expression of God's generosity to us. And 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 food, I mean food is an opportunity for human creativity and generosity in the image of our creator. It's interesting too to think that food is also at the heart of our rejection of God. The what was the very first act of rebellion? 
It was an act of eating. Just thought about that. Ever since that time, our relationship with food often goes the wrong way because our relationship with God has gone wrong. We find comfort in food instead of refuge in God. We use food or even avoid food to make ourselves desirable so others will worship us. Fractured relationships and greed in society means that some go without food. We overeat, some undereat. Uh, so it's no surprise to find that brokenness and hurt also shows up in relationship to food. But against this backdrop of food gone wrong, God promises a feast. Again and again in the Bible, salvation is pictured as a feast with God. You know, when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, the leaders of the people are invited up to Mount Sinai to eat and drink with God. The rescue from slavery in Egypt, the, the defining act of Israelite identity, is commemorated in a meal. The meal of Passover. You know, at the high point of Israelite history in the reign of Solomon, we are told that the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, they were happy. Even when things begin to unravel, God promises another meal on a mountain, a feast of rich food for all people. On this occasion, death itself will be on the menu and God will swallow it up. Yeah, you know, there's going to be an eternal feast that no one will ever leave. And Jesus, he provided a foretaste of this when he fed the 5,000. You know, again, there's more than food at the end than there was at the beginning. Think about that. It's a pointer to the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that one day we will feast forever in his presence. So the meals of Jesus represent something bigger. They represent God's coming into the world. But at the same time, they represent a new reality. They are the real thing, just in miniature, in a shadow, but they're real. Food is stuff, not ideas. They're social occasions to represent friendship, community, and welcome. Yeah, yes, our invitation may cost money if we invite people over. But think about the Feast of God and the price that that feast cost. The precious blood of Jesus' Son. We are the outsiders. We are the ones that were on the streets. We're the ones that were excluded. And Jesus takes that judgment and we're invited in. We become the insiders, the friends 
the invitation goes out to us now. It's, I don't think it's an accident that at the heart of what it means to be a church is a meal. You know, Jesus told us to remember him not in a pattern of words, but in a meal. You know, I think that the way that we can do mission and community at the same time and go about our lives is all can be done around a meal. All the while letting our unbelieving neighbors and friends see the way that the gospel impacts our lives and our relationship with others. We're called to go out and share the gospel. And I would say that following the pattern of Jesus, a meal is a pretty easy, ordinary way to do that. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we confess, I confess that if I were to have it my own way, I would want to sit at the best places at a meal. I would want to sit up close and be recognized as a friend of the host. I would want to to only invite people that are like me. And yet, you've changed my heart. You've changed our hearts to no longer to desire that. You've extended your grace to us. You've done for us what we could not do on our own. You've invited us to your banquet table. So Father, grant us hearts to invite others to our banquet table to show them the love, the joy that you have shown us so that we had the opportunity to tell them about the joy to come. Give us a passion for people, the passion that we see in Jesus. Father, may we open our lives to provide a welcome, to provide a place of inclusion, to provide a place where people matter. May we be missionaries around a meal and use ordinary opportunities, Father, to share about the grace and the loving kindness of our extraordinary God. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.